Yeah. So we're here. So New York. New York. It's. It's really big. It is really big. It is, it is, in fact, full of boroughs. And full of superheroes. I mean, I knew they all lived here, but this is unprecedented. Do you know how many Thors I've seen? Several. I, I, I didn't even know that there was that much Uru metal floating around the Nine Realms, Ten Realms. Okay, Miles, you, you know those, those guys? They, they Every about... single one of them was worthy as heck. <laughs> okay, buddy. Okay. So, and I thought I saw Mr. Sinister earlier, but when I looked back, it was just some slightly creepy kid. So, what you're saying is you saw Mr. Sinister earlier. I mean, probably. He really does get around, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, retcons are practically his secondary weight now. Um, tertiary, quaternary. Anyway, retcons could reasonably be one of his superpowers. Like, choose a decade, any decade between the Victorian era and today, and he's probably lurking around somewhere perpetrating some scientific abominations. Uh, I... <laughs> I remember him being a Nazi? Only for a while. To his dubious credit, he actually quit partway through World War II. <laughs> really? He, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to get concerned about his employer's ethics. Oh, he <laughs> wasn't. He lost Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he actually wasn't concerned about the ethics. Their science just wasn't weird enough for him. <sighs> okay. And then before that, he spent about a decade throwing wild parties in Hollywood. Mr... Sinister? Yeah. Hollywood parties. Yep. I did not see that coming. That's what Faye Livingstone said. Faye Livingstone? They ran together for a while. What? (laughs) (laughs) And we're not even there yet. Was she a supervillain? She was a radio comedian. What did she see in Sinister? Something, apparently. I mean, she was head over heels for him. No mind control required, at least at first. That cannot have ended well. It really, really didn't. Um, so Faye stumbled across his lab, and he broke her heart and then kept her prisoner for years before consigning her to life in a sanitarium. That's rough. Sinister is kind of a jerk. So he just ditched her? Kind of. I, he still actually came to visit every year until Genesis kidnapped Faye. What did Evan Sabiner start kidnapping old ladies? Oh, no, no, not that Genesis. The other Genesis. Tyler Dayspring. That makes even less sense! <laughs> buddy, buddy, it's Tyler Dayspring. He makes so little sense that he arguably drains sense from surrounding continuity. So what did he want with Faye? Oh, so he kidnapped her as a trap for Sinister, um, as revenge for Sinister turning on Apocalypse, one of the times he did. Was he trying to kill Sinister? (sighs) Nothing so inelegant. So what was Tyler's endgame? To destroy Sinister. Wait, but you just said... By forcing Sinister to admit that he had feelings. What?! I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. <laughs> Welcome to episode 168 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, the outs, and the retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. And welcome to a very special episode... About drugs. No! <laughs> about peer pressure. No! Live from New York Comic Con? Yes, and uh, our, not only our first East Coast show, but also a show with two uh, amazing, amazing guests. 
Yeah, so normally when we have guests, we talk, we give some background about, you know, who they are, what Xbox they've worked on, etc. But we've basically spent the, in, in the case of these two guests, we've spent the last 167 episodes doing that. <laughs> so I will just say that it is our great, great pleasure to welcome to the podcast. Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, yes, thanks to you both so much for being on the show. This is a dream having you both here. Like, so much of what we what we spent so much time and joy doing was because of the worlds and the characters and the stories that you created, both of you. So all the making fun of everything was <laughs> our fault. <laughs> um, so I guess where do we... <laughs> where do we start? Good with? comeback. <laughs> I mean, I got nothing. <laughs> It's no, it's 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 one of those things when when there is when there is enough, there's there's always going to be something. Mm -hmm. And there is there is so much. And you have both been enough. so much enough stuff, not even close. Yeah. I was say, you, yes, you've been, you have been both so closely and so intimately associated with and 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 sort of the voices behind and definitive in X-Men for so, so, so many part. years. Um, so I have a question for the two of you, which is if, if you had to distill the stuff you'd you're done on it down to one definitive work that you feel like. Oh man, we're either, starting with the either, big one. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm starting really big. It's, what it's, do you mean by one definitive work? Um, you mean pick an issue? Yeah, if if there's an issue or a storyline or even a series. Oh yeah, that's easy. That's, you're gonna say Uncanny X Men, aren't you? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Ninety four to two seventy seven, page twelve, inclusive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one story. With sidebars to Excalibur, New Mutants, uh, X Force, X Factor, etc. It's it's called life. <laughs> there are no there are no stops. There are there are bits along the way, but it's all one continuous ongoing event. Yeah, I mean, and that's I think one of the things that has been most most defined your run uh, for, for me as a reader certainly is that everything leads into everything leads into everything. It's this one organic, connected, interconnected world. Yeah, life. Exactly. <laughs> um, for me, I think it it comes down not to just that one that one long continuity, but some of the uh, I guess bumps in the road of the continuity, as in the creation of X Factor. Oh yeah, but that's that was a bump, but it made a great story that I think was defining. Inferno was pretty good. You got to admit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did, we did, we did Mutant Massacre, I'm, which no, was I'm, your I'm, own brilliant idea, and then we did Follow the Mutants, mm -hmm. which was which worked really well, and then we did Inferno. Mm -hmm. No, I, and that really worked for me. Almost it all, did. It, no, it worked brilliantly. But you did some great stuff with John Byrne. Don't forget that stuff. <laughs> I don't think anybody in this room can. I'm forget not that forgetting stuff. it. I just refuse to play favorites. <laughs> how do you compare? How do you compare John with with Dave? How do you compare, um, Paul. or Paul, or Walter, oh, yes. to name a few, <laughs> um, or Alan Moore, or Alan Davis, or John Bolton, or, you know, Frank Miller. It's like you, you run down the list of, of people who have participated in X-Men and New Mutants and X-Factor and Excalibur and, and Wolverine, and it's... 
you know, how can you how can you name a, a list of great team ups and leave and forget to mention Bill mm-hmm. on, on the New Mutants, soon to be a major motion picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's the fun of it. But to me, it it was always it was never a bunch of separate events. Everything flowed from one into the next. There was there was an ongoing continuity. In the same sense I always I had as a kid reading, wow, this issue Galactus arrives. <laughs> Holy cow. And in the same issue they defeat Galactus, Johnny Storm goes to college. <laughs> I mean he didn't last long because Stan and Jack found it really boring. Gosh, didn't you guys go to co- never mind. <laughs> but it was cool. You know, it was it was organic. It, there, there was, there was. <laughs> wow, Fifth another analyst. dimension heard from. <laughs> but Remains organic. Everything flowed one into the one. One arc flowed into the next arc naturally, so that that you were you were eager, if not desperate, to find out what happened next. There was never. It was always viewed as jumping on points, never a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that was the key. Even when a story ended, there was something there to tease you about what was going to happen next, whether it, it was the relationship of, of, you know, will Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch do this? Will Hawkeye and, uh, oh, um, the wa- sorry, Yellow Jacket and the Wasp? Well, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is Yellow Jacket? You know, who is Hank Pym this week? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, all of that was part of the synergy. Um, it, it, you never had that sense of everyone being separate and living in their own boxes the way one occasionally found happening at other companies with other superhero dynamics. Mm-hmm. And that's what made Mar- for me, that's what made Marvel so much fun. And, um, and actually, uh, on that note, Louise, you'd mentioned um, Inferno, which is also one of my very favorite stories. And and which th- we're going to, do, it's a running joke that it's still always Inferno on the podcast. Everything was so connected. Well, because there's always men- some, everything ends up connecting back to it for so, so long. Yeah, but not to mention the Morlocks kidnapping Power Pack. Well, yeah, and making them orphans. <laughs> yes. Making their parents forget they ever existed. Oh, that still yeah. gets me. Man, those Power Pack crossovers were always so dark. Like, it was this super kid-friendly book. Like, like I'd be reading X-Men, I'd be like, this is fine, I'd give this to a kid. And then the Power Pack shows up, and it's just like, oh my gosh, things just got really serious. <laughs> Wheezy made me do it. <laughs> um, but but yeah, one of the things that um, sort of building on what you were what you were saying, Chris, about it being it being life, it being all interconnected, one thing leading into the next, into the next, that's very impressive when it's one writer doing it. But when it's the X universe as it was developing, especially throughout the 1980s, with a new book here, new book here, new book here, still plot threads building in one book that could continue into another and go back to the first and go into a third, and it all just felt so organic. And the fact that it was the two of you working together on that impresses the hell out of me. Well, but it's because Wheezy was running the show when it was just me, and we just kept going when she moved off. And it's because Chris thinks of great ideas, and then I think of things to do with them. (laughs) (laughs) And she also has that occasional brilliant comment that makes the writer go, Oh my God, that's yes! And she goes, "See, you'd have thought of it if you'd only given a little more effort." <laughs> and it's like, only ten years later, you were, like, "Oh man, she was just like 
leading me down the road, and I just, it was beautiful. Down the road to perdition, probably. (laughs) And look how that ended. To Inferno, we know. What? Inferno, indeed. It's a hot time in the old town. (laughs) (laughs) And and now I'm really curious if there's a specific example you guys have of that that you want to share, of that that relationship. Hmm. Gee, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I, the only thing that comes immediately to mind is me sitting there, me sitting in the office trying to Codswobble Louise into the X Titans crossover idea that I had, and and this artist walking by and saying, "Somebody mentioned Dark Side," <laughs> <laughs> um, and but that was that's in a way the exemplar of how it worked. You threw you, you're sitting there tossing concepts back and forth. And it pings into the ether, and the right guy walks in the door. And in this case, the fact that it was Walter led to one of the best stories, much less intercompany crossovers ever. And and a 48-page extravaganza that is still a treat to read and look at. Oh, seriously, it's yeah for something that is you know outside of I guess core canon or whatever. It's it's de- it's a definitive part of. I mean, I'm sure Titans as well, but for for us X Men, like it's just it's part of the work. Well, we got to play with Dark Side, <laughs> right? I, know. I mean, it's, it's just you know dark. Who some who dares summon Dark Phoenix? I Dark Side. It's like woo. <laughs> I mean, you could almost hear the Ennio Morricone theme going off all over the place. Ennio Morricone, if you're listening and you want to write a theme specifically for that, please do. Don't give him any ideas. He's still fun. You know. <laughs> but that's but that's it. It, it. It's a matter of collaboration in the ideal best sense of the word, and it's a matter of of wheezy. As an editor exemplifying that which Stan and later Archie themselves exemplified, which is when you're the, when you're the boss, you, your primary job is to find the right people for the work. When you find the right people for the work, leave them alone and let them have fun, but be available in case either they have a question that needs answering or... They're about to punch each other out, which occasionally can happen, <laughs> or a ever so slight poke to remind them of where their right direction is, and le- and trust that they'll get it. And to that end, anything is possible. Do you remember you? I, oh, this is zillions of years ago. One time, you came into the office and said. I don't have any more ideas. I can't. I can't think of any stories. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. And he was like, "Oh, poor, you know." Rest of the I feel so sorry oh, for myself. <laughs> and, and, and remember those those dangling plot threads people used to hate, and everybody. I personally loved them, because I said, "Okay, what about this, 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 and this?" And you oh, said, yeah. "Oh, okay." Yeah. And you went home and wrote. Like five issues, but, fifteen or five, but yeah, more like yeah. fifty. <laughs> <laughs> and if and if something ever didn't work, you just basically threw that plot line away and moved and turned left. But mostly it worked. But mostly it worked. Yeah. yeah. But that's but that's the synergy. It's like you don't need. How shall I put this tactfully? It's very nice to go on a biannual retreat to somewhere wonderful where you can hang out in the woods and 
and eat and drink and dance under the moonlight and plot the next two years of every book imaginable. But once you lock into that par paradigm, it's, it almost becomes this sort of, we have to go to this point, we have to go to this point, we have to go to this point. By contrast, what we ended up doing was a lot more chaotic, but it, it became a lot more organic. And so the stories were not quite as meticulous around the edges as they should be, but then neither is life. And like life, you, can, you ha suddenly have splinters off to the side that, hey, you know, that character's kind of interesting. Let's follow them for a little longer. Him, her, it, they. Holy cow, I never saw that coming. And then you suddenly have a whole new idea. This is a question mostly for Louise. What was it like to go from editing to writing this great sprawling continuity? Because you know, it had been the same timeline for a pretty long time, and a lot of those threads were there to catch on to. And I imagine wrangling that as an editor must have been really interesting. But how, how did your relationship to it change? Well, let's see. I just, I, you know, it's even for me hard for me to remember the order in which I did things. I think I first did Power Pack, and Chris would occasionally let me have one of his characters wander into my book. And you'd let me and, want your characters well, wander into my that, book. Yes. Because because I could trust you because I knew you would be brilliant. And um and I then, and then what I up. did Oh and then X Factor. Remember X Factor? Oh yes. It was it was Greek. like yesterday. It was it was a nightmare for it was it the shooter had told Chris, right? Jean was gone forever. Yep. She would never ever come back. Yep. And that, and you, you, you said, okay, well then she's instead of having her tortured forever in hell, you would, you would kill her. Yep. That was your decision. Yep. So it's amazing what a bottle of whiskey will do. Yep. Actually, <laughs> it was bourbon. Right. So a batch of years later. Yep. You hear this rumor. Nope. You, you didn't. You did hear a rumor. Oh. You came to my office and you said, you said, I hear this rumor. They're bringing back Gene and they're stealing my characters. And I said they wouldn't do that. Shooter wouldn't lie to you. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. I was I was very naive, and um, and then Anne took me out on a plotting conference with Barry Windsor Smith, and waited until this is when we went down to the the uh, bistro on th there was a block. Uh, uh, we were on Park South. This was over on Third, I guess. Lexington, mm -hmm. Lexington, and Twenty uh, Seventh Street. No, no, 23rd Street. <laughs> nope, 25th Street, sorry. I'm getting in, it. in case you ever want to go there and it still exists. <laughs> and we, we sat down and we're just starting to talk. He said, Chris? Yes, Anne? You have to understand, Anne is, how shall we put it? Petite. She's, she's not quite as tall as Willow, which was very effective when she's talking to Jim Shooter, who is not petite and is much taller than Willow. Um, and she said, they're bringing back Jean Grey. And for some strange reason, after five minutes of, how shall we say, unexpurgated expression of opinion, I stormed out of the restaurant, back to the office, discovered it was Friday and they locked all the elevators. And I, I didn't have the key or the activation code and Jim had gone home anyway. We went back, talked, uh, plotted the book, and then I went home and, and uh, wrote a counterpoint, an alternative, which Jim liked a lot, but he'd already made a commitment to 
to the powers that was, be. Bob, Bob Layton was one of them, right? Bob Layton was who? Who are the characters? Come on, mention names. Uh, <laughs> yeah. These people want gossip. Bob they want Layton. the facts. Dirt here. We're talking Bob Layton. We're talking Kurt Busiek. We're talking. Oh, was Kurt involved? I didn't even John know that. Byrne. Byrne was. Kurt was the Byrne. one who came up with the means by which was they brought her back. Kurt yeah, yeah, that was oh, Kurt. Bad Kurt. Except <laughs> <laughs> okay. so it worked out for me, so I shouldn't and, say. And good John and, and John and Roger came up with the resurrection. No Those comment. Rotters. Those rotters. Okay. And, a, know, t- and, a, and a strange idea for X Factor, too. And well, then they stole your, the rest of your characters. Well, then the, 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 really thi- the really interesting thing was the first issue, it's like, Bring. yes, this is Scott. Scott, this is Warren. Yes, Warren. You'll never guess what just happened. <laughs> what, Warren? Gene's alive. Oh, Scott? Yes, Madeline? Is anything wrong? No. <laughs> I have to go back to New York. You take care of the baby. I'll call you when I can. And he flew back to New York, and it's like, Scott, you're alive! And it's like... Oh, never mind the wife and kids. Well, it's just like, hang on, Gene, you, you mean to say no, nobody in the FF or the Avengers, while you're running around blowing up your parents' house... Okay, I rewrote that scene. Um... <laughs> And, and viewing your history as implinted, imprinted on the Macron crystal has informed you that Scott is, <clears throat> what's the word? Oh, married. No. You know, it's like, ha, 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 This is straight arrow Scott, right? The, the guy, it was a total. <sighs> Honestly, people, if you're reading a comic book and a character suddenly behaves way out of character. And I'm sorry, we're not talking about him jumping into bed with Emma Frost. Right. Because oh, yeah. we no, all know that was true love due to mind control. Uh-huh. Okay, that works. <laughs> His, not um, hers. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you can kind of look behind the curtain and see who's pulling the strings and why the strings are being pulled that way. I mean, this was a, it was a financial decision on but, Shooter's part to bring back Gene and to, bring back, and to steal your, the rest of your characters. So Chris was pissed off. You think he was pissed maybe just a little angry? Yes, he was. Uh, <laughs> All I did was express myself in a forthright and unambiguous manner. <laughs> it's amazing how many four-letter monosyllabic Anglo-Saxonisms one can come up with when one is a monosyllabic Anglo-Saxon. And, and you said... Bollocks. You, you, you also said, okay, I'm, I'm stuck with this. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. But you can't have Madeline and you can't have the baby, right? So now you've got this big... This conundrum. Conundrum, right. And you've got people writing, I don't know, the, it didn't really seem to work, be working out so well with the idea that they had had for X Factor. So well, one of the problems being is that Scott yes. comes back and we're three issues into the X Factor run and no one's mentioned a certain, you know, Scott, Gene thinks, I'm going, wait a minute. Gene is, after all, what's that T word that isn't telekinesis? <laughs> isn't she? Oh, no, she's lost that ability. And I'm going, okay, that's convenient. She's also now become dumb as a post. It's like, Scott, yes. What's that ring you wear on the fourth finger of your left hand? <laughs> My class ring. Okay. And so no one told anyone. Hank didn't tell anyone? I mean, okay, Bobby I can understand because he's only young and why gay has anything to do with that, I don't know, but okay. Uh, but, and Warren's just a Richard. Um, 
But Hank is a an Avenger, for gosh sakes. And he's you know, supposed to be a mensch. And he's supposed to be a mensch. Right. And he has the hots for Gene, too. So, you know, it's like, uh, you'd think, you know, Scott, you know, you should tell someone, we're just going to ignore it. If we ignore it, it'll go away. It's comic books. <laughs> and don't laugh. It's not the first time that's happened. They, they're wondering, wait, there's some other character that's been forgotten? <laughs> Well, let's see. There's young Hank. There, there's there's Peter and Mary Jane's child. There's uh, uh, there's Reed and Sue's other child, and then the grown-up version of the other child. And sorry, never mind. <laughs> I know. Well, there's a, the team was... of X-Men who's who's the, of clone X-Men who are out in brood space still. What? <laughs> I, I, I think one of you wrote that. Yeah, this is definitely one of your fault. I didn't write any clone X Men. All right, so it was in, it was the New Mutants issue where we find out where Magic went during the slumber party, and where she, she goes, got the spacesuit. <laughs> I promise this happened. Oh, that was that was your issue that you. Let for me those of you looking, right for those of you that... listening at home, they're looking at us like we're making this up, which we are definitely not. I, I, no, no, we had that issue. We had no, we had this really great cover. It's Carl mm-hmm. Potts' Potts cover. cover. That was the one. And we modified it to turn it into Kitty. Right. And then we had to have a story to come up. We had to come up with a story to go with it. <laughs> right. And that story introduced a Dumber group of cloned have, X-Men have come up with better stories. Who are me. still out in brute space who no, have never have not reappeared since then. They've, they were in that one issue and never again. Plot thread. Woo. <laughs> we've been we've been harping on this for like a year trying wait, to convince wait, someone wait, wait. to pick I, it up I, because I, I love it. OK, then, you then who's the redhead in the ugly green costume in the current issues? <laughs> I can think of like three possible answers to that. She's the the really ugly iteration of Jean that seems to have been the, there. Isn't there an iteration where the young X Men were bounced to the future? Right. So there's that. And, there's and, that and version now, of Jean. Uh, but only it was only supposed to be for a short time until it turned out that they sold. So that would have been sticking around forever. I'm not even going to try and explain how this fits into continuity. Why don't we remember any of this? I don't understand. <laughs> Hank, don't worry about it. You weren't. Well, maybe you were there. Anyway, it turns out X Men can get someone was there. But if what? if young Jean is running around in this really awful costume, no, I mean it's I mean, so I mean, awful like it's it. almost worse than the Kitty costume in the other X Men. Hi, I'm leading the team in a costume that was really dated in 1964. I'm sorry, I'm being catty, <laughs> but it's like. I'm sorry, who are these people? There's well, a, a okay, so I can think of three redheads who wear, who wear green and are attached to X-Books right now. So there's that version of Jean. Leave Jessica Chastain out of this. <laughs> there's Hope, who wears yellow who? and green. Hope, uh, <laughs> Oh, wait. Is she, we, wrote, we wrote a song about this. Yours? No, no. no that um, was later. That, I, yeah, oh, God. I, I don't remember which arc she was, she was introduced in, but she was the first mutant born after Messiah the, after, complex. yeah, Messiah Complex. She was the, she was the oh, first mutant. What? She was the first mutant born after after uh, the Scarlet Witch sort of shot all, shot all of that down. That oh, yeah, fuck. after M Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, but she also wears she's also a redhead and she also wears green and yellow. Um, uh, I'm and sorry, I'm sorry. I, this is the point where I have to say, okay, just out of curiosity, aside from the fact we've now had the Scarlet Witch say no more mutants, except for the really important ones who sell books. <laughs> 
In other words, 90% of Claremont's and Wheezy's. No, they lose their powers. The, the 10% who remain are. Okay, we've had that. And then now we have this other thing where the, the progenitors of the current, I'm sure, top-rated TV Fox series. No, sorry. ABC series. Is it Fox or ABC? ABC. This is... Wait, this which is one? Which one? The Hawaii Idiots. Hi, we're in humans, but we look just like everybody else. Ah. Ah. Huh? ABC. Oh, I thought you said baby face. I was thinking, okay. That's <laughs> a lot of layers. Hi, I'm black. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, okay. So thanks to the Terrigen Mists, which has been floating around TV for three years and floating around comics for at least three years, all human beings are now uh, inhumans. Kind of. So we're now in human beings. And all mutants are sterile. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm being parochial. But if I'd saved the universe three times at least, and that's only in my run of the books, and I were suddenly made sterile, oh yes, and fought gods in Asgard, and were suddenly made sterile... I would suspect that no one wants me to live on this planet anymore. And the question would occur to me, why the am I still here? If they don't want you in the neighborhood, it's not like you don't have access to interstellar drive, pandimensional drive, time travel. I'm sure there's at least one or two TARDISes in the basement. Tardi. It's like... If you don't want the X-Men or mutants, why the dickens do you wish to stick around? Go somewhere else and have fun. I certainly wouldn't mind seeing the X-Men and or New Mutants and or whoever head back to Asgard for a while. Still one of my favorite stories of all time. Isn't it in Oklahoma right now, though? Uh, Part of it is also complicated. Yeah, it was was in Oklahoma for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's moved. It's gone home again, though. Uh, it, most of it, I think. Okay. What has Oklahoma got to do with Asgard? D- don't it fell down. I mean, <laughs> I could, I could kind of almost see Newfoundland, or the Canadian Maritimes, or even, you know, one or two of the Great Lakes. Oklahoma? There's like a fish out of water story or God out of the Specifically Broxton, Oklahoma. I don't know if Broxton has a specifically high concentration of something, but... Apparently the city in real life loves Thor now, so I'll give him that. Yeah, that's cool. But actually, pivoting off... Which Thor? The Odinson original Goldilocksy one, you know. I thought he was a girl. At the moment, yeah. Um, Wait a minute. (laughs) Well, no, Thor is a girl at the moment. Odinson isn't a girl at the moment. Odinson is still Odinson. He's just not Thor. Right. But pivoting off of that... Isn't talking, Odin dead? I thought Odin was dead. He got better. <laughs> oh, Chris, do you, re- do you really want to know what Odin's been up to? Oh, we, we only have one panel's worth of time. Appar- apparently well, he no, has the because hots it's, for Phoenix. Okay, okay yeah, so you're, you're, already, you're already on you're that. You're up. Yeah. She doesn't deal with lesser beings. I'm sorry. <laughs> you laugh? <laughs> Ooh. We do have the expert right here, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> moving on. Um, <laughs> you know, we were talking uh, yesterday about how part of the appeal of comics is that you can 
you know, you can create any size of spectacle, just utterly unconstrained by budget or by special effects limitations. Aside from pissing off the artist, if there's enough detail, I would assume. Yeah, but you know, in, the- in theory, you can. Given, given, given an amicable creative team and enough time, you can do this. And so, so my question is, is, but, you know, given absolutely no constraints, what you know, X-Men's story or scene or character's powers would you love to see translated into another medium, um, into, into film or something else? I'm not sure what I, I paper mache. I, I always know. wanted an X-Men rock opera, personally. I want to see the city of Manhattan. I want to see Manhattan. Sorry, I was talking to Chris. I forgot I was supposed to be talking to you. I want to see Inferno. I want to see Manhattan transformed into this weird place with demons and, I don't know, giant pentagrams in the sky and, you know, things getting all twisted and fun. And If I could find a way to do that and somehow get... Um, the Excalibur pan-dimensional train tra- ride oh, onto yeah. a- yeah. onto Barsoom. Oh, cool! That would be cool. I mean, Kurt Wagner, Warlord of Mars. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. I'll go. I'm in, I'm in with Kitty and Rachel, like you know, it, and just do, do the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, that would be that. Uh, you know, take. Take all of Alan Davis's concepts, visual concepts, all of Mark Silvestri's visual concepts, all of Walter's, all of Alan Moore's that he brought. I mean, if for no other reason, the joy of one of the the puerile joys of of doing Inferno was the fishing boat bathroom moment. Oh, right. When they're flying over the ocean. And, And, you know, the problem with flying over the ocean when you're riding on Captain Britain's back is there's no accessible toilet and he doesn't fly at Mach. (laughs) So it's still a seven hour, a seven hour flight and nature calls. And the only ship available is a fishing boat manned by skanky guys who obviously were waiting for a perfect storm. Well, one landed and... Kitty asked to use the bathroom, and then she made the mistake of opening the door. That and panel res- has resonated with me since the first time I read it. It's taken from life. <laughs> Not Kitty, but the bathroom. Yeah. Never gone to one in a fishing boat again. <laughs> Don't you laugh. <laughs> See, this is the joy of living in New York. You know so little. <laughs> so if Wait, we there were- are public restrooms in New York? <laughs> Not on fishing boats, dude. <laughs> so if we were going to do, like, you know, an adaptation of, say, Inferno or the Cross-Time Caper or, or any of those stories, is that something that you would want to see in traditional film? Or would there be another medium that you think would be better suited, whether it's, like, animation or even something that's, you know, not on a screen? Oh, I super want animated Infer- Inferno or, or rock opera Inferno. Because the thing is, like, for me, the definitive visuals of Inferno are the Brett, Bl- the Brett Blevins stuff. Yes. And they're just oh, that yes, incredible yes. expressive cartooniness, and I cannot see that working in a medium that wasn't animated. I, yeah, I agree with that, although they, they're doing such interesting things now with the special effects. They might be able mm-hmm. to pull it off with real life. I mean, there's rumors of a Power Pack movie, and I think the rumors are that it's live action. I, it, they're every five years there are rumors, so I don't get too excited. <laughs> um, I, I would kind of like to see it in, at that one animated, but with June Brigman's characters mm. drawn oh, as yeah. if June had done Ooh, them. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, and, you know, I'd like to have a million dollars, too, and, <laughs> you know, I'll be able but to see, fly to the moon, so there you go. But, uh, for me, the, I mean, the, thing, the, one, the one thing that, 
that I found the hallmark of the X movies from the very beginning is the extraordinary breadth and variety and essential accuracy in many respects of the casting. Um, you know, it's... it. The thing I find... And, and I should qualify that also because since Kevin Feige started at, at Lauren Schuler Donner's shop, a lot of that attitude carries over to the Marvel films. The, the collective casting ethos of both Avenger, the Avengers canon and the X canon has been remarkable. And to get all those people together in a really cool well-written, well-structured, kick-ass, two hours, okay, two and a half, okay, four and a half. <laughs> well, we could do Michael Bay, seven and a half. <clears throat> Two-hour movie, I think, would be a righteous trip. And just because Valerian didn't quite pull off the brilliance of CGI, even though they tried hard, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It wasn't it wasn't I, bad at I all. I actually kind of liked Valerian. Oh, I loved Valerian. I just wanted it. I wanted Valerian. I didn't want... <laughs> the problem... I wanted them to be at the beginning of the relationship, not at the, at the middle of the end. I know. I know. They should have let you write the script, right? No. Yes. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there because I, I, I you know... Neil beat me to beat me to get a shot at uh, doing uh, Modesty Blaze, even though he didn't get to do it either. Um, and war- and one of the other Brits got to do Dan Dare, which I really was pissed at. So I'm not even going to go there. But it would be yes, I would love to have done it. I, no, I agree with you. That would have been better. But it just it looked really good and it was fun. It was oh fun no, all it was, the way it was brilliant. I mean, I thought the the aliens were fun. The whole it was just like. And it got these mm. weird reviews, like people were... Nobody understood we, it. No. We, we did, though. <laughs> because we're superior but beings. But it's, no, it's, it's sort of like Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell was absolutely brilliant as an animated film. The, thi- the problem with, with the Scarlett Johansson version, and it wasn't the fact that Scarlett Johansson was in it, because they actually covered that nicely in the context of the film. That, that they made her Caucasian because they didn't want her to have any link with her real life. Which, okay, that's actually a sneaky, cool way of doing it. The problem is, it turned out to be an ordinary story. And you want a story to be as magnificent as all the technology that's being, that's being tied into it. And the same, I guess, with Valerian. I wanted the story to be... One, you know, the, Messier's stories in the in the actual in the actual comic are wonderful, and it's like why you couldn't just want, adapt one of those and have a really great time? You know, this was just like intro to we'll actually do the really cool story with number two. Ah, it's like we'll get to we'll get to Wolverine, to the Wolverine, but first you have to see the origin. <laughs> you know, it's like, screw it. Just go straight to the meat. 
Um, so we try to leave a lot of time for questions and panels, but one of the things while we're on the topic that I've always been curious about, so we're talking about how technology has advanced on film, the ability to portray stuff live action that maybe previously would have only been done in animation. And this is something we're going to get an answer to pretty soon based on what you wrote down. True, but so I was wondering, for a character that you've both worked with so much, like Warlock, how would you ideally see that done? Like CG, animation, some kind of like, I, I don't know, even practical effects? How about a combination thereof, whatever works? Because there, there's so mm. many ways that you can make something, I don't know. It, it, it would have to be something that allowed him to emote. Because he's all emotion. That's one of the things I love about Warlock. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if, you know, so it, all of those things could work. You know, you're a bit here, a bit there. I think the real, the real problem, the challenge with Warlock, no matter how you do it, has nothing to do with Warlock. It has to do with the fact that you're dealing with, if you're talking about a live-action reality, you're dealing with three-dimensional people relating to essentially a, a banner on a stick. Well, Warlock, let's do this. Warlock says this, and that's do that. You know, it, it's... The magic will come in post-production, not in actual filming, which means, bluntly, if you're going to do a brilliant Warlock story, the first thing you've got to do is come up with a brilliant Warlock script. And then turn it over to a director who, who has the, the ability to, to bring that script to life with a cast of actors who are capable of doing it. If all those pieces fit together properly, then adding the animation or the, the special effects technology that, that physicalize the imagination of the script will give you the end result. But it's, it's not some, I mean, the, the thing you have to realize in talking, when you talk about film, is we're all used to seeing a 90-minute, 120-minute, 170-minute end product. What you don't realize, or what you have to sit back and think about in realizing, is each of that end, that end product is literally made up of weeks, if not months, of... 12-hour days spent shooting 30-second scenes, moments of scenes, 55 versions of the moment of the scene so the director can have 55 or 60 different iterations to play with to see which one fits best into the overall construction. It's a giant jigsaw puzzle. I mean, the miracle is not... The first miracle is that the film gets made at all much less that it gets made well. And then you have to sit back and think, how the hell do they do that? Because the technology required, the knowledge re required, is so extraordinary. All we have to do is write words on a page and give them to Brett, give them to Bill, give them to, to John Byrne, give them to Dave Cockrum, and presto, you know, Walter talks to himself, and suddenly you have a 15-volume four. <laughs> and it kicks ass. But that's all. If anyone wanted to make that into a movie, the, the sheer magnitude of creating Asgard, not to mention putting all the pieces in play, not to mention getting everybody to, to hit their marks and say their lines and do everything, not to mention the fact 
well, maybe we should try it this way or put the camera over here or do that. Oh, the sun's not in the right place. Well, we got to have special effects. Your head explodes. It's, it, it's not that simple, but it, is, it can be that miraculous. So on that note, and speaking of, uh, we, are, we are starting to run low on time, and I think we've got time for maybe two listener questions. No, that's what you're here to do. That's what you're here for. Yeah. You're making the panel easier for the rest of us. Um, so we have time for a couple listener questions. I'm guessing most of your questions are going to be for these two. If they're for us, we should give our usual qualifier, which is that we are research monsters, and a lot of how we are able to answer your questions on the podcast is that we have time for research. If there's anything we can't answer here, um, we will look that stuff up. We'll answer it on the podcast or the blog um, coming in. So I guess... Um, and we don't have, there isn't an audience mic, is there? We have a portable mic right over there, actually. Oh, awesome. All right. So if you have questions, um, the mic is over there. If you cannot get to the mic, um, raise your hand and we will make sure the mic gets to you. All right. So, or actually, if somebody can just, uh, pass it over, that might also be Yeah. Easier. Oh yeah. No, it's wireless. It's wireless. Okay. Awesome. Stomp don't throw it. Thanks, Phoenix. Probably. I feel like you should have been able to levitate it, but... <laughs> She's too busy eating a world. Hey, All right. No, Hi. no, no. That's good, Phoenix. Um, She's wearing green. So in, uh, the, so in the like untold history of Marvel Studios, they spent a while talking about the Jim Shooter rules, uh, the rules about how every issue has to be an introduction to every character. There's yep. the whole I can't and I must sort of thing. Little Miss Muffet. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you mean back in the days when comics actually sold? Yeah. <laughs> so when each issue sold more than the issue before. Yeah. So what is your question? So so the question is how do you think that those rules worked and how do you think that those rules didn't work both from the perspective of issues coming out on a monthly basis and reading them all back to back. If the writer is a good writer and more importantly is doing the job well if he has or she has a good editor to watch the back their back it is no problem creating a texture wherein you establish the same bit of information week after week forgive me but if you watch any standard network tv show i guarantee you within the first five minutes you will learn this is Dr. Jason Bull. He is a he's not a lawyer, he's a doctor. He runs a think tank for figuring out how to get you out of out of how to solve jury problems. Oh, and this is so and so and such and such and this is this is his staff. This is Agent Gibbs, NCIS. What is NCIS? The Naval Criminal Investigation Service. That's a division of the United States Navy, not really the United States Navy but connected with it. And this is Ducky who solves crimes. This is Ducky's assistant, who used to be his assistant, but is now a doctor. You do this every episode. This is Sergeant Friday. This is Detective So-and-so. You do, why do you do it? Because you assume each episode there's some numbnuts out there who's never seen it before. <laughs> and this way, they know. There's an, they never have to post a giant... We're not... We're go, on the first five seconds, we're going to list all the people in the, in the show... And tell you who they are so we don't have to establish it as you go. It's, it's easy if you know how to do it. And it's fun if you do it artfully. And that's, that's pure craft. And the fact that, I mean, the fact that it's easier to, dis 
to take away the splash page and do a hi for the for those of you who don't pay attention this is who this book is all about i think is criminal because that means you don't open the comic and look at the start of the book you open the comic and see a a reading page and then you open it to see what you hope is the double spread but now is really actually a single page with an ad then you turn the page and you're in the story that's that's insane the point is the first three pages are there to hook you to grab you to make you want to read the fourth page that's how it's all that was how it's been that is why the book part of the reason I think the book sold and they don't sell now and, and really what Shooter was trying to do get us all to do was just the very basic stuff mm-hmm. conflict and resolution and a resolution mm-hmm. a small resolution within the context of Chris's larger stories I mean Shooter did say to me he understood what Chris was doing after he read the a lot of you know a lot of X-Men in a row he actually came to me and said you know he said Chris is really writing a novel you know but every chapter but has a beginning and a mm-hmm. middle and an end and a conflict and resolution within the, the, um, the context of, this, of that particular chapter. And um, it really, it's the way things ought to be. You ought to know, you need to know who, what, where, and when and why because by the end of your, this chapter, things are going to have changed. Mm-hmm. And you won't know what changed if you don't know who the people are and what their situation is. I mean, just go back and so read Dickens. it's very basic mm-hmm. structure. When you're, if you <laughs> read all, any Dickens, the, by the word. just bear in mind, it's, uh, each chapter was a week or a month apart. Mm-hmm. And then you understand why it is the way it is. And again, if, it, if it's Dickens and it's well-written, you don't care because you want to see what happens next. I mean, this is the whole point. So that's why you establish the new, uh, the new situation, so that there again, then, the, then things change from that. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's the continual shifting, that life thing you were talking about earlier. So I, I think on that note, we, do we have time for one more question, or should we? Okay, all right. Thank you, timekeeper. All right, so we've we've got time for one more. I'm sorry. I will say, however, that both of these folks are tabling in Artists Alley, and you can find them there and ask them additional questions. Probably, I assume you can. If you have a day or two. If you've got a day or two. (laughs) Yes, and and be unconstrained by by a panel waiting. Um, And ignore the lines. Come around and just talk. Talk. (laughs) All right, so we've got a final question from Phoenix. All right, mine's very quick. Um, You got better. (laughs) I did. Um, And you have a happy ending. Yes. (laughs) I know, I wrote it. adult gene was to get better again, um, and like Scott, get another love story, but with someone else... Who would you like to put her with? And just like a simple... I'll, I'll tell you bluntly. Um, when Todd Noak and I were doing the, the uh, Nightcrawler miniseries, in the sixth issue, surprise, somebody dies. And they said, well, you have to have a memorial. And I thought, okay, I'll do it. I have the perfect story. And Nightcrawler goes around gathering up X-Men. And they go up to the mountain overlooking the, the mansion, light a fire, and tell Wolverine stories. And I was going to do three-page vignettes through it of stories we've never seen before but would be really cool for, about Wolverine's past involving the X-Men who's tell, the X-Man who's, or woman who's telling the story. And gradually I would hope that the reader would realize the people who are telling the story are Colossus, Kitty, Rachel, G, uh, not, uh, sorry, um, anyway, they're all dead. And they all got better. And the end of the story is, okay, we just went up to heaven to rescue Kurt. 
I mean, we could, I, even though the road's blocked, I'm sure we could find a way back to do it again. Let's do it. Who wants to bet how long before Wolverine comes back? <laughs> and, they all, and Kurt goes, no, 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 no. You don't understand. What do you mean? I'm sure we could find a way to get back. Yeah. Which one of you idiots wants to tell him where you're bringing him back? What do you mean? He's in heaven. Right. Who else is in heaven? The redhead. Which one of you idiots is going to split them apart? And they all kind of look at each other and go, oh, good point. Okay, we'll leave that devil where he is. So to me, it's like, you know... It's, it's Logan and it's Gene, and at the end of days, when the last star is about to go out, he's sitting on a rock waiting for it. And as a, the light goes out, a little light appears overhead, and it turns out to be Gene, and they come down and they pick up where they left off, and the lights go out, and about seven seconds later, creation is born again. And you can, you can, draw, you can draw whatever conclusions of that you wish, but from my, as far as I'm concerned, that's the relationship. She's the yin, he's the yang, and that's the wheel that's been going and will go for eternity. I can't beat that, so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we are out of time. Um, so with that, I guess Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is usually recorded in Forest Hills, New York and Portland, Oregon. But today is coming to you live from New York Comic Con. Um, and a round of applause for all of the folks who you'll be hearing when this comes up next week um, who turned out for this. You're amazing. And, and he's not here, but also for our producer, Matt Hunter, who yes. is, is going to be making sense of this. Yes. <laughs> and... Thank you especially, Louise, Chris. This has been a dream getting to talk to you. Thank you so much for being a part of this and for, you know, making X-Men and X-Factor New Mutants and everything amazing for so long. Also to everyone at New York Comic Con, particularly the scheduling folks who've helped us wrangle some kind of difficult stuff over the last week and our Patreon subscribers without whom none of this would be happening. And, yeah. Just remember... Weezy's the best there is at what she does. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much for coming out. It's been wonderful seeing you. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being the greatest audience ever.